everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Welcome to the Heidi St. John podcast. Today is Meet My Friend Friday. This is episode number 791. Today is Friday, July 12th. And as always, I love to have people on the show who are movers and shakers for the kingdom. Today is no exception. My friend Debbie Metter is here today. And we're going to be talking a little bit about how you can get off the bench and onto the battlefield of what's happening for the hearts and minds of our kids in the public school system. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. All right, so thanks for tuning in today. Lots of stuff coming up on the calendar. Be sure to listen for more information starting next week about some awesome giveaways that we're doing as we get ready to celebrate our 800th podcast on August 2nd. My friend Ken Ham is going to be joining me on the 2nd, and that guy knows how to shake it up. I told Ken last time I was with him that he really lacks vision, and you can imagine how that went over. <laughs> Anyway, lots of stuff coming up. I am really excited because this weekend I am in Chia for the homeschool convention there in Pasadena. I'll be there for uh, till Saturday. So coming out and say hello. It's a great opportunity. Even if you're not homeschooling, there's a lot going on at Chia that's going to encourage you to get off the bench. And onto the battlefield next weekend, I will be in Phoenix for the AFI convention. Please come out for that July 19th through 20th. And I'm sort of wrapping up my speaking season. I have really enjoyed seeing so many of you out on the road this season. The next thing coming up is my women's conference. The Heidi St. John Conference will be held at Abundant Life Church. That is the home of my friend, Pastor Phil Hopper. Those guys are doing amazing things just outside of Kansas City. That is happening on August 24th. And then September 14th, I will be in Fredericksburg, Virginia for my women's conference there. You guys, early bird rates for that end on August 2nd. So be sure and register uh, as soon as you can. We are really excited to see you. Also, I want to just let you know, we continue to read your reviews over at the podcast. Thank you so much for doing that. It's just a joy to see what God is doing in your life and hear how the podcast is influencing you. I'm really hoping that today, as we talk about some of the things that are happening in the public school system, that you guys are going to be encouraged. I have not known Debbie for very long, but I'll tell you what, she is my soul sister. I'm watching this woman and she is on fire for the Lord and she is off the bench. Debbie is a pastor's wife. She is a mother of three and the co-founder of Communities for Excellence in Education. She is very involved as the pastor's wife at Westland's Expanding Athey Creek Christian Fellowship, and she's married to Pastor Brett Metter. Debbie is passionate about godly parenting and loves to encourage mothers through God's word in her discipleship group called Mom Time. Her hope is to inspire women with practical training tips and honest talk regarding the call of motherhood, which you guys know is a passion of mine. Debbie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute joy and thrill. Well, I appreciate it's it. thrilling for me to have you here because you are, you're a warrior. You really are. You're like on fire for the Lord and you've been off the bench for quite a while. So since this is your first time on the show, I'd love to just introduce you to the audience a little bit. Um, you, I'd love to know just what your background is and kind of what got you off the bench. And then we'll move into talking about all things First Amendment and why it's so important for Christians, especially to get off the bench and onto the battlefield. So what's your story, Debbie? My story. So I come from what most people would 
think is completely different than what the stereotype is of a pastor's wife. So um, we don't like stereotypes or stereotypes so that just throw those out. <laughs> throw them out. Everyone always think when they hear Brett talk, they think, oh, well, so of course her family is exactly like his family. You know, uh, the nuclear family in place. Everything's great. Yep. Um, you know, yeah. So just blow that to bits. I actually have a lot of dysfunction in my background. There's a lot of wounds and brokenness that I come from. But Jesus made himself clear to me when I was in high school. And at, at that time, uh, you know, I was a cheerleader and did all that stuff. And I was really, I had an amazing high school experience. And a real call swept through our school. There was a real, a real awakening for a lot of Christians and um, people like me who came to Christ and we took a stand. And it was right during that time we had started a giant prayer group in our high school. And then we had issues with the Supreme Court and they actually banned school prayer for a season. So no, we, when was that? It was back in the 80s. It was back in the so, 83, 82. Yeah, right in I there. remember. And so mm-hmm. we, we, as Christians, we were like, wow, okay, so we do want to obey the government. Um, yeah. For God put it there. That's what the word of God says. But it was at that point where I thought, you know, this Christian thing, like people are taking it serious. It's yeah. like it's like making headlines. <laughs> so it's not. I'm not just like they're pretending. maybe afraid of us. I'm not. I'm not pretending. You know, like either I'm going to do it for real. So I I thought, wow, this is I'm doing this for real. And my family, you know, they were just like, what do we do with this? And you know, there I come from a lot of atheists in my background and all of that. So there were challenges. Um, but I thought, you know what? I think that God has a different path for me. I'm seeing what I'm seeing from my family. I'm seeing a lot of divorce and I'm seeing a lot of things that are leading to a lot of unhappiness. And a lot of God, brokenness. A lot of brokenness, yeah. a lot of uh, massive dysfunction. And I just thought when I heard about Jesus loving me, I thought, why in the world would I not take that? So I took it. That's awesome. And I actually, um, you know, being our my my husband and I came from a church uh in Southern Oregon called Applegate Christian Fellowship. And our pastor, John, literally, I started going to church at that church in the first book, the first chapter of Genesis. So I was literally hearing from creation. Yeah, just going through the Bible. I literally, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, what a time in my life to grow from the beginning. In the beginning, from the beginning, I started being able to see, oh, God has an actual plan for my life in terms of marriage. He actually has a uh, actual plan. So I took the challenge to make a little list of what I thought God would have for me in, in a godly man. So I had this list that of uh, the attributes as I had seen them taught in Genesis. And I thought, oh, I'll just make a list, you know, what I think. What could it hurt? Be. What could it hurt? I'll just make a little list, you know, <laughs> of what a godly man would be. And I made that list and prayed about it and said, Lord, you know, you know that I would desire to have a man like this with these character attributes and whatnot. Um, but you're well, you know, and I'm good being single, you know. So here I am all of 18 saying I'm good being single <laughs> you know, for the rest of my life. But right. hey, I was a kid. I was a normal girl. And um, like I said before, you know, just the whole cheerleading thing and all that. And lo and behold, um, you know, God can break through all those masks and all yeah. of that stuff that kids deal with. Yeah. And he helped me to just really realize the fullness of my identity in him and brought Brett into my life. And Brett he you guys the same age we i'm 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 his old lady oh my goodness <laughs> that's scandalous i'm six months older than he is <laughs> Scandal. And, um, yes and so yeah he you know he is everything everything everybody thinks he is plus a million times more and he he is big and strong and he he probably holds too much on his shoulders but he is so capable and god's gifted him and his parents raised him 
I mean, it, it really, you have to go back to their story and their testimony to see why Brett is Brett. But it is, it's incredible. I mean, and cataclysmic in terms of where it could have gone in their life and how they influenced um, the raising of their children. Yeah. They became Christians before there was a James Dobson, before there were any of these, you know, venues or outlets for people to go to. And literally the Holy Spirit really showed them. And it was like line for line, point for point. So many things that we all agree on. And they just poured into their kids. Yeah, and it turns out the Holy three, Spirit can do it. Their kids are amazing. I yeah. mean, I have two of the most amazing sister-in-laws. All of our family, uh, I mean, is walking with the Lord. I mean, yeah. we we have – has everything turned out the way exactly maybe someone would have thought in a book? No, no. Yeah. But whose story does? You know, yeah. we all have wounds. We all have brokenness. But um, through the years we've just learned, I mean, in the end, it is Jesus. We yeah. serve Jesus. That's right. We don't serve ourselves. We serve Jesus. So – Brett and I, um, we've been married for almost 33 years, and I've always been married to a pastor, right? He's always had that for his job. Um, In college, he was an education major. And my mom was a teacher and my dad was a teacher. My grandfather— And that's really what a pastor is. A pastor is a teacher. And my great-grandfather actually started the first— uh, junior high in Portland. So we go back a long, long way of history with educators. So— I actually worked for the School of Education Psychology while Brett was in school. So I had that inside look mm-hmm, into what mm-hmm. teachers have to go through and administrators and all of the at work the, and trouble. At Oregon State? Where so were this you? was at Southern Oregon, okay. right? So And so I worked in Dr. Susan Roper's office and got to see, wow, an inside. Like, oh, this is what my mom has to go through with certain certifications mm-hmm, and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. She was grandfathered in. I just saw a lot of issues that teachers have to face when I had that job and I did mm-hmm. that during college. But during college, my major was broadcast communication. So I not only had the education side while I was in college, but I was getting taught the fundamentals of our speech, which is free speech. It's the First mm-hmm. Amendment. Mm-hmm. Everything That's hinges. That's back when they were teaching that in college. The, Everything hinges on the First Amendment. The First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. I literally had two professors who called me into their office one day and said, we want you to read this. And they had the First Amendment up on their wall. And I read it word for word, line for line. And they said, what do you think that means? And I said my college answer. And then they said, no, 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 we want you to tell us what this means. And they had me come to the recognition that there should never be a law making it so that we have to abandon our own speech. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. through the years, I ended up not going down the broadcast communication uh, route, which praise God for that, because right now in the uh, climate that we live in with the press, I mean, it's just it. It's been taken over by a whole other entity that yep. I don't want to have anything well, to do with. Well, it's unrecognizable. But God has put it within me to be able to write and communicate. And so I love doing that. I love pouring into the moms in our church. And I love being able to work behind the scenes, you know, with this. Uh, I co-founded a group called Communities for Excellence in Education. And that is to help encourage, educate, and equip parents and teachers and students who are in the fray, who are in the battle. Um, but it's not just limited to people who have their kids in public schools. It is also there to help educate, equip, and inform and really encourage people who are homeschooling their kids as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because we are all living in an age where our culture Mm -hmm. is being changed beneath us, Mm -hmm. but we can can put our foot down. Mm -hmm. You know, with bullies, the number one thing uh, that you are supposed to do is stand up to the bully. So remember, First Amendment right. We actually have a right as Christians. That free speech is not to be abridged. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's not just for the press. It's for us, too. So I remember when my kids were in public school, because as we prayed about it, you know, we thought, yeah, our kids should be in public school for this season. There was a season where I pulled them out um, to do some homeschooling in eighth grade to make sure and cover the Reformation and U.S. history and include God. Right. So we did during then. <laughs> um, that was And that was a wonderful opportunity because I was able to really monitor them and get them where they needed to be and prep them, you know, for high school. And then our last daughter, as she went through high school, um, we did end up pulling her. She asked us to be pulled. And that was just a really great experience. And she, oddly enough, now is a teacher. Okay. Yeah. So j- the misnomer there is that, oh, homeschool means no school and all of that. And it's just a right. misnomer. She is so educated and yeah. her heart is for kids. And uh, we have three amazing, amazing kids. But it, it is because we did not believe the lie that you have to be muzzled as a Christian. Yeah, We brought that into our home. We brought that into how we raised our kids. I brought that into my mothering. I married a strong man and he married a strong woman. And the only thing that has saved us is God's word. That is it. Yeah. So for me to stay in my lane, though, as a mom— as other, you know, cars, metaphorically speaking, were bumping into me <laughs> with <Right>? my children, <laughs> I had to be a defensive driver, right? Mm-hmm. And and part of that meant I had to get involved. Um, when our kids were in elementary school, uh, we had a really good relationship with many of the teachers, and many of them were Christians, and many of them were muzzled. And as my mom got out of education, as she got to retirement, more and more of her, it's like a letdown effect that mm-hmm. I see happen with mm-hmm. teachers as they mm-hmm. retire. They say, oh, I, I was not allowed to do this and this and this. Well, that's so, part of the problem, isn't it? I mean, what's happening in the schools, we could have fantastic people in the schools, wonderful Christians, yes. and they really, their their hands are tied in many ways, right? You want to keep ways, your job, here's what you can't do. their hands are tied. Yeah. So, but that's the beauty of actually opening up the law and actually looking into, in our case, the Oregon Revised Statutes and seeing how much provision is made and really it's based on federal law as well. So mm-hmm. in almost every state, and there is one topic that we'll get to, that this is, it's federal. And that is the 21st century schools. And that mm-hmm. is called site councils. Mm-hmm. Site councils is a federal law. It helps develop the school improvement plan for all the schools all across the nation. They should all have site councils. Site council, uh, it's in Oregon, it's the 21st century schools um, law. And that any administrator should be abiding by that. If, they, if they're not, then they're out of compliance. Mm-hmm. And so being out of compliance with the Oregon Revised Statutes is like not cool. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to do that in Oregon or Washington or California or anywhere else. And so as we have sat back and not been off the bench, mm-hmm. we have allowed other people to take the place in those little nooks and crannies mm-hmm. where we do have influence. Mm-hmm. And site council is one of the key elements that we need. And it, it's easy to do. Nobody wants to be on site council. It's the easiest thing. It's a one or two hour a month commitment. You go to meetings. And this is for anyone. This is for so anyone you the, can do one this. One of the reasons why I, I love having you here is because you know my passion for homeschooling. And just Absolutely. to see people, just parents say, hey, you, you know, pay attention to what your kids are being taught. Right. But one of the things I think the downfalls, the pitfalls of that is we pull our kids out of the school and then we just disengage completely. You disengage. And what you're right. saying and so many other uh, people, and this is what Jay and I have been doing when we go to the battleground school uh, board, people are like, why are you guys going to the battleground school board? I mean, your kids aren't in school, right? right? But there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other kids who are being influenced, mm-hmm. in, really in sexualized. I mean, let's talk about what's actually yes. happening. And you're saying, hey, listen, you can be, you know, a homeschool mom or a homeschool dad and get into this site council. Yes, you can have influence. Yes, because there's provision to have community members on the site council. So now in Oregon, it's the local 21st century school council. So it's for those people who are listening in Oregon, it's ORS 329 
1.7.704. Literally look it up. We have the internet. You can read it. So the provision makes it so that it keeps the control local, which is what school districts are supposed to function as. They are right. the local government. Right. Which is why their the, federaliz- the federalization of schooling is so grievous. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But that local control, being on school boards, being on site council, site council technically is an elected position, but no one wants to be on it. And so literally a principal could just put a notice in the window saying, hey, elections for site council. Most people will walk by and go, who cares? And I mean, it's so easy to get on, right? But if we don't, step it up and take the position to be on those councils, then what will happen and what we've seen in our area, in the Westland area, because let's just go back to the law for Oregon, um, part of what they're supposed to do, they serve the development of plans to improve the professional growth of the school's staff, the improvement of the school's instructional program, the development and coordination of plans for the implementation of programs under this chapter at the school, and the administration of grants in aid for the professional development of teachers and classified district employees. A 21st century schools council shall be composed of teachers, parents, classified staff, employees, and principals, or the principal's designee as follows, and the law goes on. That is a giant opportunity. When you talk about a school improvement plan, what that is, is it breaks down the language arts, it breaks down the social studies component, it breaks down the science, it breaks down the math, it breaks down all of the extracurricular, it breaks down and helps build up the environment of the school. So when people are a little bit confused, you know, how can I help improve my school? I'm feeling like something's off. That's the first place we can go to. When you see that the teachers are needing help navigating how to implement, you know, information that they're that's being passed on to them from the state, a site council can be huge as a force to help say, you know what, let's creatively come up with alternatives that will meet the guidelines but not compromise this culture in this local area's faith. So is it kind of a so so help me understand, because I think I'm going to be like 99 percent of the people who are listening to this today who've never even heard the word or the term site council. Mm -hmm. So is this like sort of a front door, sort of a gateway to saying, let's review. Does this have anything to do with curriculum? Is there anything, you know, or is this sort of the front line? uh, And then beyond that, there's obviously there's a school council and things like that. But so. I'm trying to really wrap my head for the parents who are listening to this around why just in very, very simple terms, Mm -hmm. why is the site council so important and what would the role be? Let's say there's a mom listening to this and Mm -hmm. she's like, you know, that's interesting to me, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't really get it. Mm -hmm. What's the simplest way that you can say what a school site council is for and who should who should try to get involved? In summary, and this is from an administrator telling me this, Mm -hmm. it is an in-house school board for that school. Okay, so every school, every, school every single school have should it. have one. And there have been many, many, many schools who have abandoned this. Parents don't know about it. And so then there goes our freedoms. So let me just give you an example in a local school that I think I will let it go unnamed because there are parents that are trying to work to amend this. But literally, there was a student who was in the transitioning process. Uh, this is a third grader. Okay. Okay. Um, a lot of aid, a lot of grants, a lot of... Im- you're, talking you know, about tra- you're talking about transgender? We're, we're moving over into that topic now, yeah. So as it pertains to this topic, in this particular school, 80% were Christians in this community, 80%, but there was no site council there. So that particular administration, which is no longer there now, so I can't, you know, this is the past, right? We need to talk about the present moving forward, why we need to capture this again, site council. They literally had a professional development day, had a person come in and speak 
to the entire staff. This was their staff development. This is paid by taxes. This is our money (laughs) paying for this. And that person who was doing the training, quote unquote, said, the problem with all of this are the Christians. Well, we had two Christians in that audience. Those were two teachers. And they were flabbergasted. And not only they should have been, I mean, not only were they being discriminated against, but they were not represented in an equal way. There was no equity in that. It was discriminatory and that it was not acceptable. So what does that teacher do? What does what does that teacher do? What does that specialist do? They should be able to go to their union rep. And that's the other topic is unions. I mean, teachers, if you're a Christian and you're a teacher, you should be the union rep in your school. Because you can change the culture of that school. And for those teachers, they can know that they have a true ally, not agenda driven. I mean, again, going back to the Oregon Revised Statutes, you know, so many of these topics, really, we have laws already in place that are amazing. Any of these topics that seem, um, you know, for our audience today, uh, if they seem, if it sort of raises in you a physiological response of conflict, (laughs) those are the kind of topics that, you know, they should be taught from a neutral viewpoint. And I think it's safe to say right now we have a, a very, it's not happening. It's not happening. But what the first line of defense are our teachers. So enabling our teachers to be able to know what their rights are, to be able to enable teachers to understand that they have great, great freedoms. They will not be getting in trouble for doing things that are already legal. <laughs> but there's a narrative out there that gives this shutdown mode. And the shutdown mode is what's so scary and how that pertains to me now, going back to being a pastor's wife and raising my kids and staying in my lane. Once I have the people who are the major influences in my kids' lives, the teachers, the music teachers, the art, whoever they are, if they are not bold enough to stand up and say, I will fight back, if they do not have that within them to do it, then we need to help them get equipped. So that is why a group of friends, some on school boards, some not. Uh, some certified teachers, some not, some parents. We all have different, you know, accommodations or credentials. You know, all of us come to the table with different things. We co-founded a group called Communities for Excellence in Education to try to reach out and encourage, equip, and educate those who need it. And really, you're asking parents, you'd like to see this happen all over the place, right? You don't oh, want you don't want to just see this happening in your neck of the woods. I'd like to see it happening up here in Washington. I mean, goodness knows California is on fire. The schools there are on fire. I'm reading, this is so fascinating to me because I'm reading a little bit about the role of school site councils. And uh, this says that over the course of the year, a typical council might consider the goals of the school district and then work with the principal to evaluate the school's progress toward these goals. So really, if a parent is interested or concerned, and I'm thinking of me as a... um, as a homeschool mom, I am very concerned about what's happening in the schools. And truly, if when Christians begin to abandon the public school system, and by abandon, I mean, I'm all for abandoning it by pulling your kids out, because at this point, there's so many things happening that I'm just like, I don't even know. I don't, I, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to uh, set my kid on fire to keep another kid warm at this point. I just kind of feel like, uh, at what point do you say, the barn's on fire, get your kids out. But it doesn't mean we abandon what's here, because there are thousands, tens of thousands of kids in these programs who need help. They need representation. And really, they don't have it from the Christian community by and large is what I'm hearing you say. And this is an opportunity to do that. And half the problem is that kids from whatever background they're coming from, they feel like no one is there for them to advocate for them. Once kids realize, wow, 
this person is on my side here. They they actually want me to do well. They want me to be successful. It naturally takes care of a whole lot of other things. You know, part of part of the success in a school is that kids actually succeed. You know, I have one friend that just, she homeschools her kids and she just got elected to the school board um, over in Canby. And she is going to set that place. She's a homeschool mom. She's a homeschool mom. But, you know, she and I talk often and I say to her, you know, I think 13% for math um, passing, that's actually not passing. That's not passing. That's actually failing. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. Let's try to work on that. Let's, and that's my district, you know. Yeah. So um, I care about those kids because 20 years from now, I want kids. I want electricians and I want <laughs> 20 years from now, the these, these kids are going to be taking care of us. <laughs> I want the doctors. I, I, they need to know math. You know, yeah. they, everybody needs to know math. You know, we all need to be able to communicate. We all need to be able to get along and be kind and accept one another. We all need to do that to have a really cool society. But we have to go beyond cool and we have to go to actual logistics. We will not function. We will not have buildings built. We will not have infrastructure. We will, if people can't, do the basics. So she is after it over there, you know. But meanwhile, different district. I have another friend who is encountering a completely different mindset in a district that already has really high test scores, Mm -hmm. but it's being swept by a culture and a lot of money is being spent to go towards, you know, certain topics and and electives and whatnot that are not only not useful, but they're culturally based and they are not going to educate and equip these kids for actually success. I always find it interesting that, you know, to cut electives makes no sense to me because from a public school standpoint, half the thing is keeping the kids in school in order for them to get their funding. And so administrators that I've talked to in the past like electives because it helps retain kids, Mm -hmm. right? So when you start dropping some of these basic things that help kids live, like cooking, it's really good to know nutrition. Yeah, right. (laughs) If you want to have a successful child, teach them about school. When I was in school, (laughs) I took home economics. And we actually loved it because it was an hour out of our day that we could, you know, we we had these little like, they look like toy kitchens. I think about it now and I'm just like, that's so funny. We're just playing house. But But the culture doesn't like that anymore. They don't like it. And and the problem is, is we still have, you know, getting back to how I became involved. That's so old school, teaching people to cook. It's It's ridiculous. But if you do, and and even if you say, okay, fine, whatever, just, you know, go to wherever you want. You still have to talk about the future medical issues they're going to face. I mean, basic things. People don't want to talk about the reality. You know, what's your heart going to look like in 20 years, hun? <laughs> you know, so when we skip over into other possibly more controversial topics as it gets to maybe if we move over to comprehensive, comprehensive sex education, you know, my concern is that we are raising kids in a culture of death. And in Oregon, I know we sense that, um, you know, it's it's just it's beyond the pale. And it's teaching kids, and it is from the Oregon Department of Education all the way up. We are not anti-education, our our particular group. We are pro-education. We love the thought of having kids be able to go to school and really come out feeling like they're alive and they can achieve and they can just blow through gaps and pass tests and do amazing at these things. But these poor kids are watching their friends die from suicide rates. And well, it's there, it's so a, sad. It, they've turned into we don't we're not even educating kids anymore. Really, we our our schools are filled with activists. It's a lot of activism, and we've talked about this 
dozens and dozens of times I've had, you know, multiple guests on here, including yourself, who are witness to the indoctrination that's happening of our kids. And I think one thing that we can do as parents is to go beyond sounding the alarm and saying, actually, no, we're not going to let you do this anymore. Because as we've said many times on the podcast, silence is consent. And so if we don't get involved, if we don't say, hey, this isn't okay, if we're not willing to stand in the fray, if we're not willing to stand up, because really in Oregon, and I love Oregon, I grew up in Oregon. I went. I graduated from Portland Christian. I love Oregon. My heart beats for Oregon. Oregon's on fire spiritually. It's on fire financially. For goodness' sake, our you know, Kate Brown is hello. <laughs> we need a new Oregon. We need an Oregon governor stat like right now. Can we just drop one in? Nope. It's going to take a while. But it's happened because people don't vote. People don't get out there. I've seen Christians. One of the things I love about you is that you obviously, I mean, your husband's a pastor. You guys are very involved in ministry and have been all of your lives. Uh, And you're saying these things matter. How about we don't relegate ourselves to church? How about we don't relegate ourselves to just talking about this with our kids in our home, but actually get out and impact the culture? Right. And Brett always is just so good about, you know, if you build up the people, then the people are built up and can go out and do what Jesus said, go and make disciples. Yeah. So his focus, his job, and it will not change, you know, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, Mm -hmm. book by book. That is his goal. Where I step in as a pastor's wife, and I told him this just a couple of days ago, I said, you know what? I think my primary calling for the rest of my life now is to ensure that you do not go to jail for doing yeah, your job. Right. No kidding. So that makes me step in. Yeah. Um, because you get in the way of my family yeah. and I'm going to knock you over. Right. That's just the way Who's it is. Who's the mama bear? It's just the way <laughs> it is. Yeah. So that is what got me off the bench when my kids were in public school. Yeah. Uh, If I saw my kids being stepped over, for instance, bullying, it was a huge, huge deal when my daughter was in fourth grade. She was being bullied on the playground. And I went to the fourth grade teacher and I said, hey, you know, I think we might have some interaction problems going on out in the playground. And she said, it's my lunch. That's not my job. Debbie's like, oh, no. I said, oh, no, "Um, no, no. (laughs) You know, how can I creatively fix this? I'm not going to change her. (laughs) Right. Um, She is not on board. So what can I do? And so Brett and I prayed about it. And I started an art room in the school. There was not art. There was not art literacy. We started art literacy programs. I opened up an art room. There was a spare room in the school. I we got PTO. That's like the parent teachers organization. We agreed on a certain budget. I think it was like fifteen hundred dollars. Filled that thing. And three times a week, I had 60 kids coming in doing art projects, giving them a safe haven, giving them a safe place to be Mm -hmm. where they were not going to be bullied, where they could be creative. We put their artwork up and it was just a really great experience. You know, that's a way to be a problem solver. Mm -hmm. You don't always have to be a grumbler or, you know, any of that. It's not helping us. I think it's just, you know, if we're sitting, if we're going to say here, like we were talking about before we started recording, it's not enough for us to sit here and go, this is wrong and that's wrong. And what a bummer. We have to be able to say, here are some things that you can do. Yeah. You can yeah. get off the bench. You can get off onto the battlefield. And uh, there's lots of ways for people to do that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap the show up today. Debbie, would you be willing to come back on Monday? Because I really want to hit the topic of comprehensive sex education and let you answer a few, uh, a few uh, questions from listeners. Thank you for having me. This has been great. For more information on Debbie Metter, I will link back to it in the show notes today. You can find that at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast. I'm going to come back on Monday and I'm going to have Debbie here with me and we're going to be talking about questions that come in from the listeners. So we'll be using our mailbox money to answer some questions specifically as they relate to getting off the bench and onto the battlefield. In the meantime, I'd appreciate if you guys 
guys would leave reviews for the podcast over at iTunes. Continue using the hashtag off the bench and send me your stories. I would love to hear how the Lord is encouraging you to get off the bench and onto the battlefield. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I'll see you back here on Monday. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.